0: Lock Talk radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We'll say that one more time. This is Kim. I am Kim Kimberly with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So here we go, second Sunday. All right, I think we're getting back on track, getting back to a regular schedule. You know, I'm not going to devote myself to 1230 in the afternoon, but we were able to do it today at 1230, so I'm grateful for that. There's been so much going on. This year has been very trying for me. There's been a lot going on, but, um, you know, I want to thank you guys again for listening to the show, whether you listen to it live or you listen to it on the archives. For those that are interested, you can find our archived shows, not only on Blog Talk Radio, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and a number of other places. I need to register it in more places. But I just want to let you guys know that I appreciate you. My intention is to get back on schedule to doing the shows regularly, but it was just so much going on. And it's still going on. It's just that we got a better handle of it. And, um, you know, my biggest thing right now is getting used to this weather change because my body just – anyway, so – hey. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. I wanted to do a couple of acknowledgments that I didn't get to do last week. I forgot. So in order for me to remember, I had to put this in front of me. So if you all remember, not the last show that I did, but the one that I did at the end of February, or was it the end of March? It was, yeah, it was the end of March because yeah, we had all that other stuff going on in February. But at the end of March... And on that show in particular, I challenged organizations and individuals, just an all-around challenge to anyone who was willing to listen, telling them I was talking about being tired of hearing certain buzzwords like ally, diversity, and inclusion and And you know, I'm tired of hearing those words because again, they're just words, and people know you're supposed to say these things and use it in this particular you know context in this setting and and in In many cases, most of these people that are using the words you know they don't really understand the weight and the true meaning of the words, so anyway, you know, I was going on about that, and I issued a challenge for people to you know, take 10% of whatever earnings and to apply it to, you know, send it to local grassroots community um, programs and and organizations. Well, I had someone answer that challenge. So I received a check for $188.30, and this came from the Ethical Humanist Society of Chicago. They're based up there in Skokie, Illinois. For those who are interested in going to their website, their website is www.ethicalhuman.org. Again, www.ethicalhuman.org, Skokie, Illinois. And so they sent the letter, and I didn't get it until like a week later. They sent it to the P.O. Box but is dated March seventh of twenty seventeen, to whom it may concern. Enclosed is a check in the amount of one eighty eight thirty. Please accept this donation from the Ethical Action Committee of the Ethical Humanist Society of Chicago. Thank you for your work in the community. And is signed by Sharon Applequist, who's the office administrator. And in the memo section of it it says EA ten percent So I just thought that was beautiful that they took time out not only to listen to the show, but to walk their walk, you know, and, and, you know, people talk that talk, but not too many people walk that walk, and they did, and they sent this to me, and I deposited it, and I just haven't had a chance to formally thank them on the air because – I only did a show, one show last month. We're in April. I only did two shows this month. So we're getting back on a regular schedule. But I wanted to thank them for sending me this check. So in turn, I'm going to take this $188.30, and I'm going to add $111.70, which takes it to a total of $300. And I am going to donate 100 of that to the UU church that sponsors, um, that has the community garden that they leave open for the community, right, and allow people to take what they want, you know, people of color beyond faith. We've sponsored that with them for the past couple of years. So this is a project. So with that, with $100, we'll be able to sponsor four plots. And the other $200, what I'm going to do with that is take that money and give it to a local activist here that's putting together backpacks for the kids for going back to school. So, you know, I'm going to send them or, you know, contact her so I can see how she wants me to send the $200. Does she want a check? Do they want me to PayPal it to them? But I want to go ahead and get it out of my hand as soon as possible so that I can move forward. And so... You know, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And for those of you who sent their donations to other organizations, local organizations, thank you. This is what I'm talking about. You know, we always talk about leveling the playing field, and this is one step towards doing that. And when I say leveling the playing field, I need for you all to understand the context in which I'm saying that. Leveling the playing field, it helps, but it doesn't make it even. But we got to we got to start somewhere, and these are steps towards, you know, finding you know workable solutions, workable plans of action. <clears throat> Excuse me, you know. And I just I appreciate this. So, Ethical Humanist Society of Chicago and Skokie, Illinois. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, and I appreciate this. I want to make sure that everybody else gets a chance to understand, you know, the type of, you know, work that can come from this. So like I said, I'm going to match it, you know, with $112 and change and make it a total of $300. And $200 goes towards um, a, a backpack, book bag giveaway. At the beginning of the school year, so these children can have backpacks and supplies. And the other 100 towards four plots, in the community garden so, you know, so that the people in that community, you know, because we have homeless people. We have people that have, you know, situations in which, you know, that may be the only food that they have access to. And why not give it away? We waste so much food. We waste a lot of everything. You know, I know one of the things that I do, and I know a couple of other people who do this, whenever I'm away and I stay at a hotel, I just collect all the shampoos and soaps, and when I see the housekeepers, you know, I'll ask for some additional ones, and I just throw it in a bag, and I'll always make sure to leave them a nice tip um, when I get that type of cooperation, Right. And I take that and I put those in bags with food. I'll go grocery shopping specifically for the homeless community. And I'll drive around and just give away bags of food with toiletries and all of that. It's important that we do these things it's very important that we do these things. So, you know, in, in in some cases I've talked about, you know, different organizations, whether they're secular or LGBTQ feminists and how they fall short. And so, you know, I'm not going to get into that because that's not what I came to do today. But I wanted to let you guys know that the Chicago Ethical Humanist Society you know, they did a great job. And uh, let me give you that website one more time because I was overwhelmed when I saw this. You know, I had the mail and it was sitting there. And, you know, for those that know me, you know, I'm really bad about reading mail, whether it's email or regular mail. But www.ethicalhuman.org and this is the Ethical Humanist Society of Chicago, please, you know, go over there and thank them, you know, because not only does the thanks come from people of color beyond faith and black free thinkers and myself, but for those of you in the community who are striving to make things better, striving to be a humanist, to to have that empathy, that love, that compassionate, understanding, it's important that you go over there and you tell them thank you also. Because if this is, you know, the type of work that you're out here doing, I think it's important that we let these organizations know that when they do something that's, you know, wonderful like that, let them know how much we appreciate them. And so I need to write a thank you note. I know some of you are like, you still haven't written if you knew what was going on on my end, you would understand why I've just been running. So anyway, i want to move forward on that. But um, another announcement, which, you know, <laughs> I know some of you are probably going to go, Whoop, what? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> we all know, you know, how I feel about, just mainstream organizations in general, you know, but like I said, I'm kind of evolving in some of my thought processes and, you know, trying to look at this from a different perspective, right? So um, after much contemplation and, you know, talking with a few people that, you know, their opinions matter a lot to me. Excuse me. And so, you know, with much thought, I just want to announce to you guys that I will be speaking this September at the Freedom from Religion Foundation conference. It will be in Madison, Wisconsin, you know, more details are forthcoming, and I should have had it pulled up, but I'm going to pull it up now. But I just want you guys to know that Freedom From Religion Foundation, they do several conferences a year, but this is their national conference that's being held, and I agreed to talk, you know, to give a talk. So what I, you know, I'm not going to give anything away, but, you know, I think it's going to be a good time. And I'm looking forward to it. I've, you know, I've had the pleasure of of speaking with Dan Barker, but not only have I spoken with, I've also met Annie Laurie Gaylor. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, if you all go back into the archives in 2015. If you go to their podcast, you'll see on Women's Day that I had an interview with Dan Barker, and we talked about International Women's Day and the significance of it, and it was actually a really, really great conversation. So if you get a chance, go out and take a look at that. For those that are familiar, um, you will also know that I did a couple of ad campaigns with Freedom From Religion Foundation. And all of that is archived. You can find the information. This conference they're giving, it is their 40th national convention. So it's the 40th anniversary, and this is taking place in Madison, Wisconsin, September 15th through 17th, 2017. And it should be a good time. It should be a good time. I'm looking forward to speaking. Um, We're going to talk about, you know, a number of things, or I'm going to talk about a number of things, but it should really be a good time. So if you want to look it up, the 2017 National Convention for Freedom from Religion Foundation is the 40th anniversary, Madison, Wisconsin, September 15th through September 17th. And for those that are out there and they're listening, um, we all know that I I don't take money to speak. And so I have to send them a little note asking them to make, you know, whatever out to specific organizations that will be recipients of the money. I can already tell you who I'm giving the money to. I'm giving it to Asada's Daughters. You know, they get half. And with the other half, it's going to be split into so 25% of that to CPAC, which is headed by Frank Chapman here in Chicago. They are the ones that have been fighting for police oversight of the, I mean, I'm sorry, community oversight over the police board. And so 25% of that goes to them. And the other 25% of that. Again, we'll go to the UU church. Um, their last pastor um, was an atheist. The new pastor, I haven't had a chance to talk with them yet. They were at one point in time, <clears throat> excuse me, at one point in time, they had different people coming in, you know, and they were trying to decide who the new pastor was going to be. So I need to go over there and introduce myself and all of that, but not only do they have a community garden, you know, they work in the community throughout the year. And so, you know, I've established a relationship with them, and so I want to make sure that, you know, we send some donations their way. So Asada's daughters, let me explain who they are to you guys. And I've talked about them several times on the show, but it's a local Chicago group that mentors young women, girls and women, and they have done a phenomenal job um, with those young ladies. And so I definitely want to send some money their way. And again, Frank Chapman and CPAC, and also for those that are interested, they're the ones that hold the boycott every year on Black Friday. So that's the Friday right after Thanksgiving. And so, for the past couple of years, they've had marches and and they've done a lot of work. you know, Frank and the guys, they're over there, and they're doing it, so so I you know I want to make sure that I acknowledge them, but also send some donations their way, because um they've been around for well over forty years, and they're doing a phenomenal job. In the community. So, you know, I said all of that to say this. You know, I still have that challenge out there for everyone. Basically, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. Take 10% of your proceeds and give it to small grassroots social justice community organizations. They can use it, and they they do so much, you know, in these communities. You know, I've talked about um, Black Lives Matter Chicago and the work that they're doing, and particularly the Justice for Families, you know, program they have, and they take time with the families of, people who have been murdered by state-sanctioned violence, right? And so I talk about them all the time. So, you know, if you want to send some donations that way, that's fine. But, um, you know, I'm talking about some of the other organizations in Chicago as well that deserve to be recognized and to receive some love. So, you know, send some money to all of these organizations. And, If your organization has received a donation such as that, you know, a 10% donation from another, please let us know so that we can acknowledge them, so that we can acknowledge them and we can thank them. So I know I've spent 15 minutes talking about this, but I think it's important because I issue challenges all the time, you know, and they don't have to meet my challenge, but they did. And so I appreciate that. And for those who will be at the Freedom From Religion Foundation Conference in September, I look forward to seeing you. I look forward to talking with you. And, you know, we're moving forward. You know, I'm trying to look at things from a number of different perspectives. You know, I have to give people the chance. I have to give them a chance and so i'm growing so i just thought i would announce that and let you guys know what's happening here and what's going on i feel really good about that and um as a matter of fact um you know i need to send a note to a couple of people that um i know I'm going to be in the area so anyway it doesn't matter so yeah it's been it's been a lot going on. So again, we're here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I see you already have someone with their hand up. So let's let's go ahead and pick it up. What is it going to hurt? All right, area code five three zero. May we ask who's calling and comment? Hi, my name's Randy. Hi, Randy. I I'm, uh, I was just calling. I've heard your show a couple of times now, and uh, I've been a huge fan of it. And um, I was just thinking about some of the issues that I've been going through lately. I'm not for sure. I just joined in on the old radio show here, and I'm not sure what you were just talking about. But I saw you had the Donald Trump stuff up. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you've gotten into that. I don't want to rush ahead. No, I haven't even gotten to that. You know, that probably won't come until the second hour, which starts at one thirty, so about 40 minutes, because I want to talk about some of the news okay. stories out here that are important. So what I'm going to do is place you back on mute, and then you press 1 to take your hand down. And when I get into the subject, you press 1 again to let me know when you want to chime in. Is that okay? Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Sorry about that. No, no worries, honey. But, um, yeah, guys, so, you know, hey, you know, thank you for calling in. And so this is going to be an interesting dialogue, so we'll get to that. But it's a couple of things that happened this week that I think is very, very important. I can't go over everything because <laughs> there's so much going on and it's happening, you know, um, fast, very fast. And unfortunately, a lot of this happens under the radar. But um, this right here, I thought this was extremely important for you guys to know. The Supreme Court has ruled that police officers cannot hold suspects to wait for drug-sniffing dogs. The police cannot make you stay there until the drug-sniffing dog is brought to the site. So it says here, and you can find this on the Hill. You can find this anywhere. Just do a search for it. But it says the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three on Tuesday that the Constitution forbids police from holding a suspect without probable cause even for fewer than 10 extra minutes. Okay, and so Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, wrote for um, for the court and said that, The constitutional protections against unreasonable search and seizure prevent police from extending an otherwise completed traffic stop to allow for a drug-sniffing dog to arrive. We hold that a police exceeding the time needed to handle the matter for which the stop was made violates the Constitution's shield against unreasonable seizures. So it came from the case Rodriguez versus the United States. And what happened was there was a man who was pulled over for driving on the shoulder of the highway in Nebraska, and he was pulled over. They checked his license, issued him a warning for erratic driving, and then the officer asked him if he could walk his drug-sniffing dog around the vehicle. And the driver, Mr. Rodriguez, said no. He refused. And the officer detained him for seven or eight minutes until a backup officer arrived, and then the original officer retrieved his dog. And apparently, the dog detected drugs, and Rodriguez Rodriguez was indicted for possessing methamphetamine. And the the entire stop lasted less than thirty minutes. So, um, the Supreme Court said that the search of Mr. Rodriguez's car was illegal, and the evidence gathered in it should not have been used at trial. So. Guys, I'm telling you, um, it says here, while officers may use a dog to sniff around the car during the course of a routine stop, they cannot extend the length of the stop in order to carry it out. So I thought this was very important for you guys to know. Of course, you know, Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, and Anthony Kennedy disagreed with the ruling. You know, basically they were saying that the police, you know, can detain people to investigate other violations of the law. So, yeah, go out and um, read that. And it's really interesting. You know, and there were some other... Um, decisions that came from the Supreme Court that I believe that you all should educate yourselves on and go out and take a look to see what's happening out here and how they're ruling. So that was important for me to let you guys know. There were a couple of other things that took place, you know, this week, and um, I'm going to talk about it, you know, a little briefly, you know, just briefly. And I'm not sure if you all heard about this or not. However, there have been some really, 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 really interesting things happening over in the Bible Belt. So in Alabama, there was a judge that basically told a majority white suburb that after reviewing all of the facts that the town's request to separate itself From, you know, the black city, she believed that it was done due to racism, but they had a right to separate themselves, and she allowed them to do it. So here we go. Resegregation, Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Crow remixed. And it's important that you guys understand what's happening here and what the town is trying to do is they're trying to minimize school desegregation laws, right? And it's not only in Alabama, because I mean, it's not just this story here. This has been happening all over the place. If you want to do some interesting reading, go and look up North Carolina, and there are stories out there about school districts that are doing the same thing, but there are also stories out there about how a lot of the white parents came out and marched with the black parents, stating that they did not want their schools, you know, segregated. They wanted to remain integrated. So it's important that you guys go out here and take a look at that, but I'm just using this as an example of what's happening, and this is not new. And I know some people are saying this just started with the Trump administration. No, this has been going on for a while. And we've put, you know, I've, I've talked about these stories, and I've posted some on my wall, and this has been happening all over the country. It's not just Alabama. It's not just North Carolina. Not just Texas, you know. This has been happening. So I want you guys to go out and do some research to um, educate yourself. But I thought it was interesting that the judge knew that the, term, that the, that the town was doing this to segregate itself. And, yes, she allowed it to happen. So um, the suburb is Gardendale, Alabama, you know, and it's just north of Birmingham. So, yeah, go out there and take a look. The judge's name is Madeline Haikala, H-A-I-K-A-L-A. And um, the name of the case is Jefferson County Board of Education versus Gardendale City Board of Education. And go out and read the ruling. It's interesting, you know, um, to see her notes. So, yeah, go out and read that. And she knew that this was, you know, based on racism and inequality and yet she allowed them to do this. You know, some of the things they said about <laughs> you know, um about these other people you know bad racially mixed schools and this was a little flyer that they had out and it says it's, it's just it's amazing and it's a little white child saying which one of you will choose which one will you choose and you know it's talking about in, in a very, well, the judge said unambiguous, but, you know, I, I kind of disagree with that. But it's, you know, sending out messages of inferiority, and that's where that sentence from the white kid says, which one will you choose? So go out, take a look, and see what's happening. It's like this has been going on all along, but I, I believe that this is going to escalate. And even last week on the show, when I was talking about Bob Jones, you know, and and how they lost their 501c3 status, and, you know, how that ushered in, you know, the religious right and the hostility, and, you know, all of this plays together, you know, even now with the so-called school choice, the voucher system, and again... You know, while some of this stuff may seem unique to some people, this is not unique. This has happened time and time again, and, and I've stated this in the past, and I still stand on this. The things that we're seeing now, this is not new, and, 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 they, and people have studied us all the way down to our toenails. They know exactly how we're going to react to this situation. I think we need to start reacting differently, but not only that, we need to be more proactive, especially in situations such as this. So go out, look that up. You know, I think it's important for you um, to go and see what's happening here. I'm not sure if you all have been hearing about what's happening in Louisiana, down in Baton Rouge, there basically taking down the Confederate memorials and moving them other places. And, you know, the white people down there ain't real happy. And I'm talking about the ones that, you know, that that cherish their Confederate history, the ones that, you know, align themselves with that particular thought process. And so the people that have been tasked with, you know, taking the monuments down, they are all covered up. You can't see their hair, their eyes, nothing, because they've been receiving death threats. And it even got to the point that some of the white residents went up to the memorials with arms. And uh, <laughs> and one called the police stations. Well, no, he didn't call the police station. He called his um, elected official and stating that the only way to stop this is is with arms. And so that is what, you know, he wanted to do, and they took it as a threat, and he was arrested. So it's a lot going on with that, and it's not just happening, you know, in Baton Rouge. You know, there are other a couple of other places that are contemplating on removing Confederate memorials. So, you know, you have that. And what's so interesting is a descendant of a confederate soldier is blocking florida's first slavery memorial right and so if you get a chance um go down and take a look about dennis baxley b-a-x-l-e-y and he's the chairman of the senate government oversight and accountability committee in florida in um ocala right and he's holding up Legislation in regards to a proposal to create the first slavery memorial in Florida. And it was unanimously passed by the State House, and now is being held up because this one particular committee chairman stalled the legislation over a philosophical objection to the concept. And so he has a reputation. He's known for supporting the display of symbols, honoring his Confederate heritage. Said Friday, he wants to celebrate people. You know, he doesn't want to celebrate defeat. And he said, you know, a memorial recognizing slavery would be too negative. And I quote, he said, I would rather celebrate overcoming the heartbreak of slavery. I wouldn't want to build a memorial to child abuse. I wouldn't want to build a memorial to sex abuse. I have a discomfort about memorializing slavery. I would like to take it in a more positive direction than a memorial to slavery. And that's all I have to say about that. So, go, go, oh, oh, and look it up, read this stuff, you guys, read it, read it, read it, read it. You know there's a couple of other things that I was gonna touch on. I was gonna talk about this article. um, if you get a chance, just go out to the root, and Danielle Young wrote an article. And she said, I tried to read Becky's, I mean, Rachel Dolezal's, in full colors so you didn't have to, and I failed. This article is hilarious. You know, so go and check that out. Um, I didn't post it on my wall. I probably need to do that. And then there's another article in The Root, and it was written by Monique Judge. And this is titled, I, a White Rode the train with blacks one day, and it was crazy. An Atlanta newspaper reader writes on race. Now, we all know I talk about the fuckery coming up out of Atlanta, because I used to live there, and it's a whole bunch of shit going on in that state, but... You know, this this right here is extremely condescending, and I'm talking about the white person that wrote this article on race. But I'll get, I want you to go out and um, take a look at it. And the guy who wrote the train, his name is Melton Bennett, and he lives in Cumming, Georgia. And for those of you who are not particularly well-versed with Georgia and It says Cummings is a suburb of Atlanta, which is true. But I believe, and I believe Cummings is in Forsyth County. If it's not, please forgive me. But Forsyth County, Georgia, that particular county was extremely racist. And what's so funny is that it used to have, you know, it, it used to be populated by a lot of, you know, ex slaves And they were run out. But if you go back and you read the history on Forsyth, Georgia, and them wanting to keep it black, if you all remember the episode of Oprah, when she went there to talk to them, they didn't even want Oprah there. So go back and read the history on Forsyth County, Georgia, but also read this story because it was one of the most condescending articles that I ever read and it was published on the AJC which is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Journal and and the title of the title of his article is on the red line a daily racial transformation on MARTA. And so I guess they're doing a series on race an AJC conversation, and they're doing race reporting, and this is some type of project that they have, talking about the tensions and opportunities created by racial and ethnic change in Atlanta and Georgia. And I don't know who greenlighted this particular project, but now... So, and the only reason why I'm kind of bringing this up is, number one, I was amazed that it was actually published on a reputable newspaper site. Now, you know, I don't give much credence to the AJC, but, wow. So, all of that to segue into this. Now... And I'm going to talk about this for a little while, so y'all just may as well go on and have a seat, take a sip of your sweet tea or whatever it is you have in front of you there. But, all right, so you know how everybody was all up in arms about Kendall Jenner and that Pepsi commercial and how Black Twitter went in on that and that commercial was, you know, snatched down. And Kendall Jenner was running around talking about you know how she was traumatized by all of the backlash right, so you know again, I talked on the show about how Coke had done a commercial just as offensive in the past, so you go look that up too, and we won't even talk about Colgate and a number of other brands, but now Heineken is getting in on the fuckery, right. And so what they did is they put together a commercial that was filled with propaganda. And you know what? I want you all to go and read the article that was put out by D.D. Del, Del, Delgado. Again, D.D. Delgado, D-E-L-G-A-D-O. And the title is, The Heineken Ad is Worse Than the Pepsi Ad. You're Just Too Stupid to Know It. Right? And so she talks about this particular ad. She talks about the propaganda in it. And she does a great job. So I'm not necessarily going to go over it, but I'm going to read this particular part from the article and talk about it. It says, this commercial is the worst type of propaganda. It tricks you into thinking social problems can be resolved if only people tolerate their oppression just a little while longer. It pushes the idea that bigotry, sexism, and transphobia are just differences of opinion that are up for debate and deserving of civil discourse and equal consideration. And it makes folks think that, four-minute commercials are a viable way to address societal ills that corporations have no interest in fixing. All right. So we've talked about these things over the years. You know, this show has been on since 2011. It's been six full years, right? And One of the things that I have stressed and, you know, addressed on this show is how you have people out here who really, truly believe that oppressed people should not be rocking the boat, if you will, not ruffling feathers not you know seeking to not be oppressed anymore they don't even they want to, they don't want us to talk about racism they don't want us to talk about sexism homophobia trans none of this stuff because the more we talk about it the more credence is given and if we don't talk about it it just goes away and you and me both know that is not true that is not how this works But, again, for those that know me, you know I go in on progressive liberals and that mindset of many of them in regards to, well, it's not time yet. And it's never been time. And and one of the issues with, you know, a lot of these progressive liberals is, you know, in order for you to get their support, in order for them to publicly acknowledge having solidarity with you, is for you to do as you're told, when you're told to do it and how you're told to do it. And with this particular commercial, what it's doing is is telling people, if you could just hold on a little longer. It's been 400 fucking years. How much longer do you want us to hold on and wait and to allow people, you know, to, to change their mind and, you know, sitting down having a Heineken, a Pepsi, a Coke, all that, that ain't going to fix this. It's not going to fix it. And so commercials like this, you know, it, it puts out, you know, some people would say subliminal messages, but no, that was pretty overt to me, right? And so they put out messages like this, and, and you know, it, it has, it excuses a lot of the behavior because in this particular commercial, it was transphobic, right? And, and it's just funny because, like, in, in, in real life, if something like that were to happen, you know, people would be falling all over themselves to write it out on Facebook. They want to take a picture with the person. You know, and put all of this in, in, in situations like this. This is why you hear many of us talking about the mainstream, the white feminist movement, and why we have issues because in real life, a lot of these cisgendered white women wouldn't even bother to show up. And that's the truth. And so in this particular um, commercial here, you know, it's, it's trying to give off the perception that, you know, while he made this statement that may have been questionable, just give it some time, laugh it off, you know, you got to have the right chemistry mix. Oh, he didn't mean anything. by it. And this is why you hear some of us going off about white people attempting to define racism. And they'll say, oh, that wasn't racism. That was just little Joey being little Joey. It was a joke. You're taking it too serious, you know, and, and something that I've heard from blacks and whites. You know, you're choosing to be offended, you know, which is really interesting because when I got a call, not the last show, but the one before, we had the gentleman trying to basically minimize racism and white supremacy by relegating it to a matter of feelings and people having hurt feelings because these other people did not like. And that goes, you know, even beyond racism. It can be sexism, transphobia, homophobia, you know, ableism, and much, much more. And, you know, what I explained to the gentleman, and I'll say it again now, okay, when we're talking about racism and sexism in in regards to putting it within the context of this particular administration. We're talking about systemic and institutionalized racism. However, with this particular administration, it has boiled over. And now you have people out here trying to gun each other down because of xenophobia, bigotry, you know, racism, sexism, all of that. And then you get commercials like this, which is conveying a very, very dangerous message. And, child, I just say this, uh you know, the way that this whole thing was scripted and, you know, the black woman, wow. If this had been, well, you know what, I can't even say that because I know some black women who would have reacted the same way. But I also know some black women that they would have been dragging off that studio floor. so, So I'm just looking at this, and, you know, what's so interesting is there was a congressman, not sure if it was in one of those little box states up there, Wyoming or Montana. I'm thinking it was Montana, but it was one of them up there, right? And he was talking about, you know, trans women. And, and he said if a man is wearing a skirt, you know, and, and that man is assaulted, that he kind of brought it on himself, which is bullshit. And, and you know, just it's a lot of this stuff that's slipping out there. And, you know, people aren't talking about it. You need to pay attention to what's going on. You know, and, um, again, I've talked about on this show how homophobia is really another form of sexism and how it's a weapon of sexism. And I really want you guys to go out and do some research on that to get a better understanding of, you know, how these particular weapons are being utilized, but also some of these, you know, subliminal or Um, tasset, you know, messages that are out here, how it's flying past people. But it is, you know, burning itself into your psyche. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily recognize it. But when you see these commercials and you hear these particular talking points over and over, they start to stick. And we have to make sure that people know that this is not okay. And it's never okay. So um, hmm, go and, and look this up. And what's interesting at the end of the article, Miss um, Delgado, you know, brought up Heineken and how they hung up promotional banners in an underground dog fighting club. Now, you may want to go and look that up as well. And, you know, there has been controversy around Heineken for a long time for many different reasons. So educate yourselves on that, but start pushing back on things like this because this is not acceptable for people to tell you that you should just hold on a little longer, suffer in silence, and it's going to be all right. We're not going to talk about it, but just know that it's going to be all right. That's bullshit. And, you know, don't let them do it. Don't let them do this to you guys. Don't let them do it at all. And so, you know, I'm going to end up segueing into what I want to talk about today. But, um, you know, there are a number of things out there that I kind of want you guys to go and do some research on and to get a better understanding. There are more news stories out there, you know, and I haven't checked, but I want to read up some more about the first Um, black woman Muslim judge that, you know, had washed up and how it went from being touted as a suicide to a homicide. And, you know, it's suspicious. And so I need to read up on that. I didn't really get a chance to go back and do some reading on that this week. had a lot going on. But, um, yeah, man, go back and look that information up. Um I told you all about an article last week and it was it was talking about neutrality and how people are being basically forced to be neutral regarding, you know, speaking out about these politicians and you know I talked about Donald Trump and Pat Robertson and all of them and how a lot of these white Christians are, and some black ones too, some black, you know, pastors, they're trying to shield Donald Trump from criticism and saying that he was anointed and appointed for this time. He's a man of God, which is bullshit. Him and his two chronicles, right? And um, yeah, you know, so What happened, and it's not just in America, and I want to give you all an example. There was a black reporter in France, you know, a black um, journalist, black woman French journalist, was suspended by her employer for publicly opposing a white supremacist presidential candidate. So, you know, I talk about stories from all over the world. And I published them because, I mean, years ago I was publishing or posting on my wall articles talking about what was happening in France and Germany and Italy and, you know, what's going on over there, the European side, and telling people to pay attention because we saw what was happening and what was coming even to this country. I mean, it's not that it was, it was already here. You know, so, you know, I got to remind myself that when I talk about these things, I need to be conscious of my grammar because this is not anything new. And so um, last week, you know, I went in and I was talking about Bob Jones University over there in South Carolina and how the controversy behind them losing their 501c3 status is – what galvanized the momentum needed for the religious right to, you know, basically come to power and and get an audience and and seek volunteers and people who would, you know, support them and and help do the heavy lifting, right? And so, you know, I talked a little bit about Jimmy Carter and how he – basically angered angered a lot of the religious people cuz you got to remember Jimmy Carter was from Georgia so he's part of the Bible belt and he angered the religious people because he would not allow religious schools to be declared nonprofit schools or 501c3s And that created a lot of controversy. They were angry because of that. And if you go back and you look at the time when Jimmy Carter was in office, Jimmy Carter was trying to help black people, people of color, and women, and even to this day. Same thing, you know, I saw an article being passed around on Facebook. And this is an old article, and every year it makes its rounds. And Jimmy Carter was talking about women and how he, you know, I guess kind of lost his religion standing up for women. And, you know, Jimmy Carter, you know, was not a bad guy. And he's, you know, I've stated before, my favorite president. And it's a lot that most people don't know about Jimmy Carter, but go and, you know, go do some reading, Habitat for Humanity, um, and just what he was able to achieve, even if it was just a little bit, but then you also need to go back and read about what was lost and what was taken back and why. And so, just like I said, you know, the whole thing is interesting, but, um, Yeah, all of this started with, you know, fights with the IRS. So the show notes for this week are basically the same notes that I had from last week. Today's show, White Christian America, Give Me That Old Time Religion, and this is part two in the series, and I'm going to be talking about Christian America in general. But right now, we're talking about white Christian America and one of the goals of this series is to show how the religious right came into existence, how they were able to get power and money and, you know, kind of tie all of that in to what we're seeing now. And I'm not discounting what happened in the past, you know, because we need to talk about this and White Christianity, as I've stated before, it is based on fear and oppression. And it always has been. And so one of the things, one of the bullet points that I definitely wanted you guys to take away from last week to do some some research on is how basically the religious right, the focal point, of the religious right and how it was able to springboard, it was not because of Roe versus Wade. And a lot of people like to say that. And that's not true. Go back to the court case of Green versus Connolly in nineteen seventy two. That is what springboard you know springboarded um the religious right. And it's important for you guys to understand this because it was about education. It was about the IRS. It was about a number of things. But it wasn't about Roe v. Wade. And so that's a misnomer that's out there that's, you know, perpetuated by blacks and whites equally. So go back and do some reading on that. And also, you know, with Jimmy Carter you know, intervening against Christian schools and denying them or trying to deny them tax-exempt status. So, and and what you need to understand is that that was based on de facto segregation. And so I hope it all makes sense to you Why I started out talking about segregation on this show regarding Alabama and that one particular suburb breaking away from Birmingham to resegregate their schools to that there. I mean, it's a lot more, you know, and only have so much time to do do this show. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, again, I encourage you guys to go out there and um, do the research. But, you know, what's so interesting is um, basically – you have a lot of white people out here who feel that they're being discriminated against because of race, right? And at first, when I would hear these things and read these articles, I was just absolutely dumbfounded because I just couldn't figure out where that was coming from or or why they would think that. And, you know, after having several conversations and more reading and more research, you know, it. I can see how some would feel that they're being discriminated against. And what I mean when I say that is there are more people in this country. There are more people of color in this country. You know, populations have exploded. And so white people, white Americans have to share a little bit more of their entitlements, if you will, and sharing more of the entitlements to them feel like discrimination because they're used to getting and having whatever they want and and not getting any pushback. But now, you know, that pie, that pie is still there, but their slice is getting smaller and smaller, and they're recognizing that and they're also recognizing that their population is dwindling. And we've talked about it several times on the show and I, you know, alluded to it last week when I was talking about white people are dying and no one can figure out the reason why. And so put all that together and you have it all mixing up and you know, next thing you know you see the smoke And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but where there's smoke, there's usually fire. I'm not sitting around waiting to see. I'm running. I'm getting away. And, you know, what's happening now is what we're seeing, you know, with the election of Donald Trump and his message of nationalism. And so what's so interesting about that is initially – Donald Trump was saying that he was a nationalist and all of that. And you have people like Steve Bannon, President Bannon, who's definitely a nationalist. And where some of the conflict is coming in with Steve Bannon is he's pointing the finger at Kushner, Jared Kushner, and calling Kushner and his group globalists, right? And so what's been happening with that, you know, is that, you know, Steve Bannon wants America first, you know, and and basically to a certain degree, isolationism, right? And if you all are history buffs, if you go back and you look at what happened during World War II, the beginning of it, at that time, America did have an isolationist type of stance. And this is why Mussolini and Hitler were able to basically advance unabated. And so it's it's important that you understand that history as well. So you got this conflict going on. And so now, most recently, Donald Trump made a statement saying that he was a nationalist as well as a globalist. And it's important for you guys to understand um, what's happening here and how some of the rhetoric is changing. And so, you know, we just hit his first 100 days, and they had some Trump supporters on the news. And, of course, they were giving him ratings 8, eight and, a half, nine and 10, you know, as far as his performance has been and, and him holding on and delivering on his promises. And, you know, last week I gave you all some statistics, and basically I'll give them to you again today. 74% of white evangelicals believe American culture has mostly changed for the worse since the 50s, right? And, you know, this is, you know, um, this study came from the Public Religion Research Institute. And it says 62% of African Americans and 57% of Hispanic Americans think that culture has changed for the better. 81% of white evangelicals voted to make America great again. And so this is where this is coming from. You know, I'm talking about religion and Trump and the people that voted for him. what well, I told you about how. People are playing, you know, church, church hopping, as many religious people would like to call it. And this happens, you know, often. However, it's a little bit more significant since the election of Trump. And we all know that all of this boils down to dollars and cents. So, you know, if you go out, look up religion economy. I think you all will be surprised at what you find. So religion economy, religious economy, go and take a look at the amount of money that's being passed, you know, through these churches. And so and so, you know, what's really interesting about all of that is, and I talked about it last week, but it's important for me to talk about it again, you know, not only to reinforce, but there are some people who may not have heard last week's show. However, what's happening with this particular Trump-Bannon administration here, what they're trying to do is abolish the Johnson rule, allowing pastors and preachers to talk about politics and to support politicians publicly from the pew, from the pulpit, to the pew, and and do this without facing the wrath of the IRS. And so they want to abolish that. In addition to abolishing the Johnson rule, they also want to allow these churches to become, to receive donation money and to donate that money to politicians of their choice. Now, you really should be afraid of that, but, you know, I'll let you come to your own opinion, but it's scary, and you need to go and do some research to understand why that is problematic. In addition to this, they want to allow these churches to establish their own police departments. Now, I don't know about y'all... But I've been in some messy-ass churches, and I know some messy-ass church folks. From the pulpit to the pew, you want to give them police powers? Really? And so what's so interesting is one of the things I talked about last week is one of the scriptures that – Preachers like to use to silence dissenters, silence you know any type of gossip or talk that's being told about them, and they use the scripture "Touch not mine anointed" to shut folks down. You know, and and you know, doesn't Christ mean the anointed one? And Christians are little anointed ones running around. It's okay for pastor to do a whole sermon about you, but you can't say anything in return. Because then, you know, you're going against the word of God. Now, imagine these people with police powers and them having the authority to come and arrest you because you said something they didn't like or you did something they didn't like. Will they be able to arrest you because you didn't pay your tithes? Will they be able to arrest you because that child you just birthed was the pastor's child and he doesn't want that getting out? Are they going to arrest you because you stumbled upon the money laundering scheme in that church? Are they going to arrest you because your skirt was too short? Are they going to arrest you for having premarital sex? You know, all of this ties into that old-time religion. And that's why you have all these different denominations across America. And so it's important for you all to read up and to get out here and to oppose a lot of this. You know, you have a lot of white people and black people in, you know, other races and ethnicities that romanticize the past, and that's dangerous because you have to remember when when you have people romanticizing the past, you know, they're, they're talking about their glory days. And what's happening now is, you know, you have people out here who are supporting this type of you know just all around fuckery and and they want black people to be put back in place, they want women to be put back in place, they want these people with these other funny religions to be put in their place right and And this is what is happening, and so I talked about you know you know an article in which you have a renowned atheist saying that Christianity is the answer to Islam. Now, I want you to let that sink in. And I talked about it last week, and it was Richard Dawkins, and he gave, you know, an interview or a talk, and he was talking about that. So I'm like, you know, maybe I'm missing something here. You know, but taking all of that away are we about to have some type of religious war? I'm trying to figure out what's going on and why you will have why you have, you know, atheists endorsing, you know, one religion over another. And for those that have been around long enough, you know how I feel about libertarianism and and you know how I feel about um people basically what what church folks say Throw rocks and hide your hands. And so they're pitting people one against the other, and you need to pay attention to that. Oh, yeah, and I talked about Paris last week, so Madame Le Pen and (laughs) Macron, you know, they're going to have a runoff, so keep an eye on that. But, um, yeah, so let's get down to some old-fashioned Give me that old-time religion. And so we had a caller that called in earlier. I see you're still there if you're ready to talk. Press 1. You know, Otherwise, I'm going to go into what I wanted to talk about today a little bit more in depth, and once I get started, we're going to be going there. But, you know, in order for you all to understand some of this, I think – it probably would be wise for me to kind of go over the history of Donald Trump and, and his involvement with the white nationalist movement. And again, if you go back and you look up some information about the church and religion and the racism that's you know, part of the church, I mean, this is history, it's documented. Um, even with Bob Jones University, they apologized for their racist history, and their racist policies, and the discrimination. And, you know, you still have a lot of that going on, because in some of these religious universities and colleges, if you're LGBTQ, you may as well forget about especially if you're the T, you're a trans person, child, you, anyway, it's it's just, is horrible. And so go, do some history, on racism and the American Church, you will be surprised, and it 's not a thing of the past. it 's still here. And so one of the arguments that I 've seen presented is how white people or white Christians centered their whiteness as opposed to centering their Christianity. You know, I thought Jesus was the center of your life. Jesus was the center of your joy. And apparently that is not what is happening here. But, um, yeah, these white nationalist ties that Trump has, you all need to go out and look this up. You need to go and pay, look, take a look at the Nazis, the white nationalists, All of these folks, David Duke and, you know, how they endorsed Donald Trump and how he tried to play coy or cute when saying he didn't necessarily know the history of David Duke and, you know, and just a number of missteps. Well, I won't even call them missteps. He knew exactly what the hell he was doing. You know, and uh, and how a lot of these hate groups, how they view Donald Trump as the last hope and how, you know, basically this is, in some people's eyes, the last hurrah for white men in general. And one of the reasons why Donald Trump was so successful, not only because of the nativism and xenophobia and all of that, was because of the image he gave off as being a man's man, right? That John Wayne you know Rock Hudson before they found out you know what happened with Rock Hudson but you know that manly man you know or the white man was in charge and everybody knew their place and 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 <laughs> he was not challenged he was not one to be reckoned or fucked with right and so you know they want to go back to those days and this is a type of image that they want you know some of the people who were interviewed last night to rate Donald Trump in his, you know, first 100 days, you know, and it was so interesting because it wasn't just white people, you know, there were some Asian people there, you know, a couple of them were white appearing, but they were Asian, and they were talking about how the rest of the world knows that America is not to be toyed with, that we're not going to be bullied and pushed around, and, you know, we have this man here who's going to stand up for America and make America white, oops, great again, right? And so what was so interesting was when, you know, when when they would talk to the people who were white-appearing, and... You know, we've always we've talked about identity politics, and I've talked about ethnic white, honorary white people. You know, people who have been designated white, but they are not truly white. And so, when you hear them up here and and in, in their actions, and you know, when you see them perpetuating anti-blackness in some in, in in some instances, right? I'm just amazed at that. And what's so interesting is when many of these people come to America from other countries, they have a hard time adjusting, especially when it comes to the racism. Because and that's not to say that you know racism doesn't exist in other places. Yes it does. Anti-blackness is global. And, oh, if you all really want to see something interesting, go and take a look at what's happening in Brazil right now. You know, I'm not seeing a lot of coverage of that on um, American television, but you really need to pay attention to what's going on over there. But anyway, getting back to this, and I'll see these people talking, and, you know, the talking points, it is worrisome. Right, because they've they've bought into the social construct deemed as race, right, and with identity politics, it came out strong, very strong in the twenty sixteen election, but you know, go out and take a look at the people who were praising you know Donald Trump, you have Stormfront, of course you had David Duke, you had um what do these new people call um, some type of voice, and I was talking about I posted on my wall some type of new alt right military group you know private military or private club, and it's like a fight club. And you're seeing these pop up all over the place. And even with what happened um, with Berkeley, with Ann Coulter, you know, they were fighting out there. And I really need to do more research on that and pay attention and have these names of these groups down. But um, Because it's like I've been paying attention, but um, other things have been getting my attention. So anyway, go up and look up people like John, not John, James Edwards and who he is and why he supports Trump. Same thing with Alex Jones. I want you guys to go and look up what he said during his custody battle, which he lost, and how he said that he is just an actor. And a lot of these political pundits and talking heads, they're actors and they are acting out a script that they are being given. And this is one of the reasons why you have a lot of people who do not trust the media. However, in the case with the Trump-Bannon undynamic duo, with those two particular people, they hate the media, and they call it fake news and all of these things, is because these people are saying things that they don't like, reporting on things that they do not want reported on. And um, if you really want to do some searching, go and take a look at, let's just say, I'll give you some keywords, grand jury Trump indicted. And so um, what's happening with Donald Trump, and one of the things that I was talking about last year before he won the general election, first, you know, I still think now, and even then, he's freaking trolling us, But in addition to that, you know, the type of nationalism that he created, you know, around himself, and he aligned himself with a lot of these word of faith preachers, these prosperity preachers. And it's important for you guys to understand that. I did a whole show talking about how imagery is very important to Donald Trump. He knows exactly what he's doing. And if you go back, you'll see with a lot of his rallies, he will be on an escalator. He will be riding the escalator down to, to come from on high and go low, to mingle with the common people, to go mingle with the people who came there to hear him. And all of this is very extremely deliberate. And so... It's, it's so interesting because in a couple of pieces that I read, they were talking about Donald Trump. And Paula White, one of the Word of Faith preachers that supported Donald Trump as she gave the official prayer at the inauguration, um, she, she talked about Donald Trump and she said, he has a hunger for God. And I'm like, no, he has a hunger to be God. And they're enabling him to do this. Now, what's so interesting with a lot of these, you know, blab it and grab it health and wealth prosperity preachers is they know that they are appealing to people's greed. Now, it's not that simple, and, you know, I want to take it one step further. They're also appealing to people who some are in desperate situations, some of them feel helpless and hopeless, and they're exploiting those vulnerabilities of those people. So when I say appealing to greed, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not talking about those particular people. When I say appealing to greed, I'm talking about the wealthy people that are already wealthy, but they want more. And and they they want to use religion to justify taking more money. And what a lot of these working class and poor people across the board, white, black, red, yellow, whatever, what they're doing is they're taking more money and setting things up to take more from the working class and poor people and to give it to the rich people. And you see this particular dynamic in a lot of these word of faith churches. And not only that, it's it's made its way to churches of other denominations, right? And it's insidious. And you really have to pay attention to what's happening. And so what they do is they appeal to people who feel, you know, as though they've been mistreated. And in most cases, they have been mistreated. You know, I'm not saying that that didn't happen. It did happen. You know, people out here who are, you know, constantly under attack for one reason or another in different areas of their lives, you know, because I consider poverty state-sanctioned violence. And so when I say under attack, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, so, you know, I just think it's important for me to qualify that so people can understand. And what these preachers are doing, you know, they tell you that when you die and go to heaven, that, you know, you will reap your benefits then, you will reap your profits, you will reap your rewards, you will reap all of this wonderful things and, you know, streets paved with gold and all of that, but they want theirs right now. And you should be asking why. And so what they're doing by endorsing Donald Trump and, you know, being his sycophants out here, right, is they're trying to reap money, power, and prestige while they are on this earth. And you need to pay attention to that. And what they do is they victim blame. So the people that are in their congregation, the ones that are poor, the ones that are struggling, the ones that are barely making ends meet, you know, the ones that are disabled, and just a number of different categories. Don't be LGBTQ. Oh, my goodness. Right? One thing I will say is that they've tempered a lot of their sermons that they had constructed you know, as anti-LGBTQ, you know, they've realized there's a lot of money in the LGBTQ community. They want your money, but they don't necessarily want you. But if you are there, they have this don't ask, don't tell policy, right? And so what happens is you'll have people, let's say a disabled person, and, and you know, they, they talk about this faith healing. Oh, yeah, Benny Hinn, his offices were ready to go and look that up. Um, they'll tell them that they have not been healed because they don't have enough faith, right? That they should just be able to stand up from their wheelchair and do cartwheels around the church. And in addition to that, the poor people, you're still poor because you have not sown seeds into a good ministry. Now, mind you, these people are sowing seeds into the church, and this church is growing by leaps and bounds, but you're still poor. And your pastor, you know, is chauffeured past you in a half-million-dollar car, and you're waiting on a bus or you're waiting on a van to come pick you up, to take you home. And you should be asking why. Why? And I'm saying all that to say this, is that this is the same message that Donald Trump has been preaching to the people that support him. So he's promising them those old manufacturing jobs that many of us lost with NAFTA. And you saw that he just backed down off of NAFTA. And apparently, the you know, some of the, you know, senators and reps had to talk with him to let him know that if he abolished NAFTA, how it would have a big impact on certain swaths of America, particularly the Midwest, and for those who harvest a lot of corn, because Mexico – imports a lot of corn from America. And so while Donald Trump was out here spouting off all this nonsense um, about, you know, basically killing NAFTA, Mexico was negotiating with other countries to import corn. And so while I did not agree with NAFTA, didn't then and don't now, there are ways to go about doing this. However, he has deluded the people that voted for him into believing that he and only he can fix these problems. And he doesn't even understand the consequences of his words in regards to the political fallout that could happen. However, again, you know, give me that old-time religion. You have people out here who will back what he's saying and saying that he's a man of God and that this is what God will want. You know, but these are the same people who, if if these farmers, and, you know, many people may or may not know this, when these farmers produce too much corn or too much milk or too much whatever, a lot of times that food, goes to, it it rots because they're not able to give it away. They're not able to do any of that, which, you know, I feel that's a crime in and of itself because there is no reason for there to be hunger anywhere in the world, but especially in America. And, you know, like I said, they care about that baby when it's inside that woman. And once the baby is delivered They no longer care about the child because if they did, they would be out here advocating to to make sure that nobody goes hungry in this country. Well, anyway, you know, what's been happening with Donald Trump is that his campaign rallies, you know, not only are they jolted pep rallies, but they're also like a tent revival. And it's so interesting because um, after he was elected, he had another rally And some of the Christians, white Christians that went there, they left because they called it demonic about how he was influencing the crowd and how the crowd was basically worshiping him like he was a god. And so, you know, what's interesting is that you have some of these white Christian pastors that that are over predominantly black and Latino congregations advocating for this and justifying it by saying that this is a man of God, knowing about his racist past, knowing about what's happening. But again, they want their rewards now. But you have a lot of folks out here, and they're like, give me that old time, it's time for a revival. And I know you all have heard this, especially if you've come out of the church. You know, for decades, I've heard, you know, America needs a revival. And, 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 and now you got Donald Trump. And you have some of these people that are are saying that this is the revival that America has been waiting on, that America needs, and is steeped in white supremacy. And you need to think about that. But yet, it's that old time religion. You know, hopefully that has a different meaning to you now, because you know, I'll admit, you know what. 20 years ago, if you would have been saying this to me, I would have been looking at you like you've lost your damn mind. You know, 20 years ago, if you would have come to me talking about white supremacy and the role that it plays, you know, in this country, in our lives, you know, I would have just looked at you like, oh, you're just mad. And so, you know, I I was there. And I've told you guys before, I was a black Republican. And what was so interesting is, you know, some of the people that I was affiliated with, they actually wanted me to run for office. And it was interesting, but I wasn't ready for that. And, you know, for those that know me, it's like I'm not necessarily, I'm not trying to be up front. People that want to do that, fine, you go ahead and you do that. But, um Yeah, you know, all of this is steeped in that old-time religion. And what's so interesting about this is one particular Word of Faith pastor, Frederick Price Sr. from Crenshaw Christian Center up there in Los Angeles, he did a series on racism in the church. And he lost a lot of friends. He lost a lot of members, black and white because he touched that subject, and so, you know, and it's hard to find that series, you know, I think I may try to find it, and get those DVDs, or CDs, or the books, if you got some out there, you want to send them to me, hey, let me know, and I'll give you my P.O. box, please feel free, send me stuff, good stuff, you know, don't be sending me no damn ricin', so anyway, um, You know, and talking about race in the church has been taboo. And for those of you who are in these churches, and if your pastor is not addressing the racism, you need to be asking yourself why. And so with that old-time religion and, and what's being put out here With Donald Trump, again, they want you to, you know, subjugate yourself, submit yourself, submit to the authority of the pastor who is submitting themselves to the authority of the President of the United States and God himself, and you're to do as you're told. And the thing is, is that they are leading you to slaughter. And I know I did a show last year, and I was like, don't follow the Judas Goat. And that particular scenario can be applied to many different situations, many different communities. But right now, I'm talking about religion in general, you know, because you have some Muslims that supported Donald Trump, right? Which I don't understand, you know, and 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 it's happening. But what they're doing is setting you up for slaughter, and. If this administration does what it's been threatening to do, for instance, not giving the states money that is needed to subsidize the insurance for a lot of people in need, it will be working class and poor people across the board who will be hurt by that. You know, and and what's so interesting about that is that your pastors will give you scripture telling you to endure and that it'll be okay. Just deal with it, and it's going to be better with time. And we don't want you talking about it either, kind of like that Heineken commercial, right? And and all of this will be done in the name of religion, even with a lot of the racism that's taking place. Now, you've got to remember the Ku Klux Klan is a Christian organization per what they say. And, and many of them justify a lot of these actions with scripture. You got to remember, you know, the Bible talks about slavery, and it justifies it. And it tells the slaves to submit themselves and be be obedient to those that are in authority over them. So not only the slaves, but also the people in the church. And so, you know, by having all of these changes that, you know, the Trump-Bannon administration is trying to implement you know, it's 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 going to create, you know, a cauldron of rebellion, dissension, and, and a number of other things, and it's going to come to a head. You can feel it now, and this is not going to end well if we continue to allow them to 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 you know take religion and take Christianity and and these other religions and and basically manipulate it in such a way that Christians will pave the way for their own destruction in, in certain regards, especially you know, if you're poor. And you need to know, you know, what they're doing and why they're doing this. And so you have a lot of people out here who are saying that if you do not obey Donald Trump, if you do not support Donald Trump, you're in rebellion, that you're sinning, that you're unpatriotic. And, you know, they'll even give you scripture in which the Bible tells you to, to submit yourself and yield to the authority of the politicians and the people that are, are above you. And they're taking these scriptures and they're doing Jedi mind tricks with you guys. And then they're also re-victimizing you by telling you that, you know, you're being poor, you're being disabled, you're being LGBTQ and all of these things because you don't have enough faith. And that it all really it takes is the faith, you know, the you know, the size of a mustard seed, but apparently you don't even have that, and they're turning you against yourself, and so you see a lot of this happening. You see a lot of this happening, and you'll see people parroting, you know, um, the talking points. But, you know, you need to go back and do some research, you know, take it all the way back to Constantine and understand why politicians believe that religion, especially Christianity, is very important and how they manipulate and exploit, you know, people who believe. You know, and and the thing is, is that, and I want to make sure I'm fair and balanced here, right? The same thing happens in the secular community. The same thing happens, you know, instead of believing in God or Allah or any of the names that you may have. You know, you have some of them who are heralding certain um, leaders an atheist community, you know, heralding them as gods. I mean, I used to say all the time on the show, is that you know some of the bullshit I would hear from people. They would say, "I used to be racist. I used to be sexist. I used to be all these things." Until I shed the cloak of religion, because they're tying you know all of these negative characteristics to religion, saying that these 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 prejudices, these these you know, idiosyncrasies, all of these came about because of their religious upbringing. Now, there is some truth to some of that, because with with some of the religion that's odd here, you know, it it teaches you that women are basically second-class citizens and that the man is the head of the household, you know, the patriarchy and the misogyny, and a lot of that is justified with scriptures. You know, even with the racism, you know, they use scriptures to justify that, especially if they start using the argument about Cain and Abel. Okay. And so what happens is they take that and they exploit it and they manipulate it to the point that people don't know if they're coming or going, and anything that they say that's not in line with their pastor or they're not repeating their pastor, many of them are in fear that they may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit or sinned by having an opinion different than a pastor. You all need to pay attention to this and what's happening. But yeah, go back to Constantine and, and take a look to see why he made Christian the state religion you know and and I want you to go back and I want you to look up what happened with the Catholic Church and the confessionals and how that came about and why the confessionals were needed in order to find out what was happening during you know during the war and how that information was being you know taken back to the politicians and the powers that be All of that is important for you to know and for you to understand what's happening now. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you they're setting you up. And I've said this a long time ago, even before Donald Trump, that I felt as though, especially with that prosperity gospel, that word of faith, that your pastors are setting you up for major failure. You know, um, this particular article that I spoke about earlier, where the pastor walked out of the Trump rally, it was written by David Edwards, and this took place on the 21st of February of 2017. And the title is, Pastor Walks Out on Trump's Demonic Florida Rally, My 11-Year-Old Daughter Was Sobbing in Fear. You need to go back. You need to read that. Because this is happening all over the country. And what's so funny is when the news was reporting the rally that um, Donald Trump had yesterday to celebrate his first 100 days, these are not just political rallies or rallies he's holding. These are re-election rallies. Donald Trump put in his paperwork basically the same day he was inaugurated for his reelection and they've been raising money. You need to understand that you need to pay attention and the Democratic Party needs to take an example. Even though I'm not for either party at this point, you know, I feel we should get third party candidates and work things out that way. But, you know, I want you guys to go and take a look at the people, these faith advisors, these faith leaders that are you know, basically supporting Trump and and counseling him and 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 helping him with this. And you know, it's over a thousand of them, over a thousand pastors, right? And you need to pay attention. You know, like I said, you have Paula White, you have Franklin Graham, Pat Robertson. Go out. And find out who these people are. Rod Parsley, James Dobson, Jerry Falwell Jr., and um, it's just a shitload of people. You know, and you need to understand their politics. You need to understand where they stand, and you need to understand how they profit and why they want that old-time religion. Let me tell you. With that old-time religion, people were not necessarily reading the Bible because you got to remember, you know, in 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 many cases, far too many cases, people weren't literate, and so the pastors would get up there and read these scriptures and and basically they would take scriptures, some from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and flip back and forth. That's called proof texting. And they tie these scriptures together to prove whatever point they're trying to make. You know, again, manipulation and exploitation, right? And you need to find out who these pastors are. You know, you got Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. And what's so interesting about Kenneth and Gloria Copeland is there was a big old outbreak. I think it was the measles or the mumps or the chicken pox, one of them, because they are – anti-vaxxers. And so there was some controversy behind all of that, but you need to understand their politics. You need to understand who they are, what they are, how they are benefiting from this. And like I said, trust but verify. You don't have to believe me. I really don't want you to. I want you to go and read it for yourself. You know, and so what happens is when you have people that are illiterate or barely literate, You know, they're able to take this religion and take these scriptures and control these folks. And, again, with that old-time religion, they would get up there and they would start preaching holiness or hell, and they would have people sitting there scared to death. Scared to move, scared to breathe, scared to question anything. This is what they want. They want to get you back to that point, whereas you're too scared to think independently. You're too scared to utilize critical thinking skills. You're too scared to do anything that is outside of that box that they have constructed for you. And that they demand that you stay in, you know, and and what they say, obedience is better than sacrifice. That didn't come from a Bible. That came from a Walter Hawkins song, which I actually, I like gospel music. But anyway, um, you need to pay attention to what they're doing. And I talked about, you know, some of the black pastors and religious leaders and how they kind of fell into this category Because you had Donnie McClurkin telling people basically that you know he wasn't going to discuss Trump and what Trump was doing because that is not their job, and that they're supposed to trust God. You had one of the Marys from the Mary Mary group saying that, and it's been a number of folks. You know, and if you go back and you look at the controversy with Kim, I think it was Kim Burrell that was out there and talking about members of the LGBTQ community, you had people like Shirley Caesar backing her up and, you know, making comments about the LGBTQ community. And, you know, again, with that Touch Not Mine anointed, if you guys go back and you look at the history of some of these folks talking – And about what they did back in the day, and truth of the matter is, some of them are still doing that shit. It's just on a, you know, on a need-to-know basis, if you will. But a lot of these are very open secrets. And so, you know, even with some of these white pastors that pastor over predominantly Um, congregations of color, if you go back and you do some research on Paula White, you know, her and her ex-husband Randy, they had the Without Walls Church in Florida. Go and look up the controversy behind that and what happened. In addition to that, you need to look up how she gained power at the church that she now pastors and find out what happened to that particular pastor. His name was Zachary Timms and you need to go and you need to pay attention to how they're profiting now from Donald Trump and how their congregants are the ones again that are suffering. So not only are they expecting you to pay your tithes and offering and sit in silence and 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 let go and let God They want you to do it, you know, they want you to be cheerful. They want you to be happy about it. And when when they talk about it, if you don't stand to your feet and clap and scream and yell, then you are in rebellion. And they want to take it back to the days where you were too afraid to even think certain thoughts because you feel as though you would be blaspheming the Holy Spirit because they claim that, you know, that this is the work of God. And, and and it's just it's amazing, absolutely amazing. And it's not just the Christian church, but I focus on the Christian church because that is what I know. But, yeah, if you really want to get into it, you know, go and look up, you know, Muslims and Arabs and Hindus and a number of other folks and groups that are out here on the Trump trail. But, yeah, they want that old-time religion, that old-time religion where not only did you not read the Bible, you didn't read any other types of books. You know, you didn't go back and, and look up history and ask difficult questions that not only can they not answer, they don't want to answer. And what you need to understand is that a lot of these pastors do know the history. And a lot of these pastors and leaders have taken psychology courses to better understand the human psyche, which helps them to manipulate you even more. But in addition to that, you have to learn how to walk without fear. And, you know, that is what's happening. You know, a lot of fear, xenophobia, all of these things are being sold to the American public. Some of these, you know, some of these are shrouded in religion. Others are shrouded in nativism. You know, um, others are shrouded in xenophobia and and many, many more examples there. But you need to understand how you're being manipulated. So, yeah, they want that old-time religion, whereas you just sit there and you listen to what's being told to you and you follow it literally. Question it. And if you do question it, it's amongst yourselves, and it is never to be discussed in public and never to be discussed amongst, you know, especially new believers or what have you. Yeah, that's that old-time religion. And they want to take you back to those days of fear. And you need to understand that, and they're doing a damn good job at it. So, yeah, you know, Trump and Bannon... You know, yeah, they got their little revival going, and a lot of religious people have jumped on this, not understanding the consequences and repercussions of some of these, you know, choices, and I think 96 or 97% of the people that voted for Trump, you know, they're still happy with him, and they state that they would have voted for the same way, and they're happy. Yeah, you need to, you know, pay attention to these things. And um, child, but it's not just the white Christians out here that are part of this little revival. You have a lot of black Christians that are out here that are part of this revival as well. But you need to look it up. You need to ask questions. You need to say no, let your no be a no, and your yes be a yes. And so um I also want you guys to go out and look up this article that was written by well written by Dr. Barber, right? Hold on a second. And it's talking about no, that's not it. Well it's an article that Doctor Barber wrote and you know, he's the one who started the Moral Mondays in North Carolina. And it talks about racism in the white evangelical church and how it helped Trump rise to power. So go back, look that up. Um, There is a show on NPR that talks about distorted Christianity and how it was created by the religious right. And next week, you know, I'm going to go more in depth about some of these things, but, you know, we have to establish the foundation for people to kind of get an understanding of what's happening. But, yeah, you know, I want you to go out and look up, you know, Donald Trump voters and what makes them angry. And so, you know, one of the things that makes them angry was eight years of you know, President Obama, in in eight years of more black people on TV, and, so, <laughs> and and also the fear that black people were going to receive some type of reparations or some type of relief of any sort. And if you pay attention to what Donald Trump is doing, what he's doing is basically erasing the Obama administration accomplishments and the behavior that you're seeing from Donald Trump when you know Obama you know emerged and said a few things Donald Trump was like oh no one cares what he has to say oh forget him he's not important anymore and he's out here and you know again the Obama administration a lot of issues with that you know with you know, using the drones to kill all these people, the wars, you know, basically again expanding police powers and and giving them the authority for more state-sanctioned violence. Just it was a number of issues with the Obama administration, but I'm talking about what Trump is doing. What you see Trump doing to not only Barack Obama, but Susan Rice and a number of other black people. Um, Loretta Lynch, you know, her and Eric Holder, they better hold on because I think they're on a list. And what they're doing is they're trying to erase the black people. They're trying to erase any type of accomplishments that may have, you know, um, taken place during that time. And I call that plantation politics. And this is something that many of us deal with on a daily basis we're just seeing it taking place on television and radio now but this is what especially those of us that have worked academia and corporate america this is the type of shit that we've had to deal with and many of the white people who did you know who who, who exhibited the same type of characteristics and behavior they were good old christians And what's so interesting is, you know, I talked about how, you know, Christianity was forced upon some blacks. And I also talked about how some Africans were Christians before they were even brought to America. But, you know, again, again, going back to that old time religion, you know, the good old days, you know, romanticizing the past and the soft nostalgia, all of that. That was back in the day when we had no rights. And truth of the matter is we barely have any now. And so, you know, it's a lot of things that are happening and, you know, you get tired. And there's so much happening at once that it's like, you know, it's kind of hard to pick what you're going to back, but we have to get out of here. We have to keep resisting. We have to keep protesting. We have to keep, you know, speaking to the powers that be and telling them, no, this is not acceptable. No, I will not be a participant, you know, in my own demise. And no, you're not going to take me down and hurt and harm or kill me, and I'm an enthusiastic cheerleader behind it. No, that is not how that works. But not only that, no, I'm not going to wait any longer. And so, This should be applied across the board, whether you're talking to someone that's a conservative Republican, a moderate Republican, a libertarian, or, you know, one of these Democrats or Green Party candidates or one of the LaRouche candidates, you know, all of these different people that are out here, progressive liberals. And the truth of the matter is, I know some of you all, when you listen to this show, and i know that you're like well wow she really isn't, she really doesn't like those progressive liberals very much no not particularly and even earlier when i was talking about susan rice and you know loretta lynch and barack obama and eric holder you know the black political class black political elite i don't have any sympathy for them either none because they have betrayed, you know, black America in a lot of ways, but specifically working class and poor blacks. So, again, I want you guys to go out and do some research. This is part two. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about these things, but Yeah, I think next week we're going to start looking at some of these white pastors, not only the ones over predominantly white congregations, but specifically the ones that are over predominantly black and Latino congregations. And I'm going to have a list of names, and we're going to talk about their past and what's happening, but also I'm going to talk about how they're profiting. And how they're trying to get you back into that mindset of you just do as you're told and you don't question anything and why that's unhealthy and why, with the rise of the technology, why you have more and more people leaving the church. But especially when they're using the scriptures to justify white supremacy and and xenophobia and all of this. It's important that you guys understand this. So go and look that up, look these people up, and we will be going from there. But, again, I wanted to thank the, you know, the donation that I received from the Ethical Humanist Society of Chicago and Skokie, Illinois. I will add on to that, and we will put that out there and, you know, help people. That's what that's about, and again, I will be speaking at the Freedom from Religion Foundation 40th convention, 40th year convention in Madison, Wisconsin, September. So thank you all very kindly. This is Kim of Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. All right, guys. You all have a good rest of the day. Take care. Bye-bye.